Hello, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of Mental Reality. I'm Dr. Beach. Today, we're going to talk about how trauma, particularly in childhood, can really shape and influence you and how you go through your life and that trauma can manifest itself and influence things like your relationships, uh, where you go in life, and uh, how your future is shaped. Our guest today is Stephanie. Stephanie is a healthcare administrator, therapist, and lived experience expert. Uh, welcome to the program, Stephanie. Hi, good morning, Dr. Beach. Why don't you start by telling me, Stephanie, a little bit about your upbringing? Sure. I was um, <clears throat> raised by a mother who had schizophrenia. Um, we discovered early on, I was about three, when we discovered she had schizophrenia. Um, so lots of um, experiencing hospitalizations for her until my parents finally separated. Um, raised with my single-parent father at that point and a brother who also later went on to develop um, schizophrenia quite severe. So I'm just going to stop right there. You, you, you said it like it's so normal, but... I can't even imagine. What was it like growing up with a mother who had schizophrenia? Well, the early times, I, I don't actually remember very much. I remember um, pockets of it, but there's a lot of that that, uh, you know, is blocked. I remember one time my uncle being outside a hospital, she's going in, and there was a windstorm, and I was a little tiny thing, and I remember my uncle scooping me up and pulling me into his arms, and I remember thinking to myself, I'm going to marry him, <laughs> three years old. What a strange thought, but there was a sense of security that, that was from there. But a lot of the rest of it is really blocked. So uh, your mother was in and out of hospital when you were like a little girl. Yeah. And, and was that because she was like, she was having psychosis? Right, exactly. Uh, many people, like their mothers, their closest connection growing up. How, how did that influence you? I think it really affected my relationships later in life, my ability to attach to people, my ability to trust, um, you know, my ability to maintain relationships. Um, my Tell me more about that. Sure. Yeah, I ended up in uh, a relationship that was quite abusive um, <clears throat> and really thinking I had control of things, um, but also secretly longing, you know, for that connection. And so it was it was better to stay than, than the fear of abandonment was far worse than the abuse that I was experiencing. I mean, I know from my own experience, you can, you know, you can be very codependent and, and needy in relationships and that, that can be a risk factor. So you stay in relationships that aren't the most healthy because you yeah. feel like you can't do better. And, you know, being alone, it seems like the, the, you know, the worst possible option. Right. Or avoid closeness altogether and put on a mask, right? Right. You know, we often wear our masks because we, you know, present ourselves the way we think people want us to be seen or the way we want to be seen. But, you know, underneath, you know, the mascara is stripping, if you will. Right. Yeah. And that, that, you know, reading into what you think other people want and then trying to become that so that they'll be close to you, but then not feeling close because you're putting on a front, you know, so all of that fakeness. Um, and it's an attempt to connect, but it just doesn't work. So, with your mother in and out of hospital having schizophrenia, were were things pretty chaotic growing up? I, I don't remember much of it, um, but it would have been. Um, um, and then especially with a single parent father who was working, you know, there would be chaos in that because we were pretty much left to our own devices. So, I developed, you know, people talk about, um, I became, you know, six years old, I, I remember feeling responsible for the family. Um, I remember my father leaving and, and 
and thinking that I was responsible to take care of my older brother. So there was an overwhelming sense of responsibility, which I also think affects me in positive ways later on because I'm the manager, I have 30 staff, um, you know, I'm, I raised children, foster children, grandchildren. <laughs> so I became That's a, amazing. You were, you were like the mother as a child. Right. And, and still am now. It, it's all you know. Right. Which I think is a super human strength, but it didn't, it didn't develop from a healthy place. So then there's also the risk of not being able to take care of yourself and still not trusting people. So it, there's a high risk of burnout. And I, I guess your father, he's had trauma too. I mean, having, having a wife with schizophrenia and that couldn't have been easy for him. How has he dealt with that? Well, and I think it affected his relationships as well, his ability to trust. I think it affected his relationship with me because there was a lot of, I think, resentment towards my mother, but then you feel guilty to have resentment for somebody who's sick. Um, but he often would say to me growing up, oh, you're just like your mother, and that wasn't a compliment. Where is your mother now? So, interestingly, I just spoke with her last night, um, and she's been admitted to a long-term care home. Um, and she's, she's doing okay. She's on medication, and she's settling into the fact that she's going to be institutionalized the rest of her life. My brother also is, has institutionalized and one of the highest service, you know, users in, in the province that he's in and expecting to be institutionalized for the rest of his life as well. So it's pretty, um, it's an interesting juxtaposition doing the work that I do, you know, knowing that, that, um, my family is using those kind of services. So on the one hand, I think it makes me much more passionate about the advocacy work and passionate about the work so that I build something that I would feel proud for my family you know, or myself or, or people I know to, to have to use. Um, but also there's a, a deep sense of, you know, being overly revealed, you know, being too real. I mean, you say it very matter of fact, but, you know, schizophrenia runs in families and so does trauma run in fa runs in families. I mean, yeah, so that's, that's like a very, very atypical upbringing. And the legacy of that, like I watch my grandkids and I watch my kids and I, I'm, I'm hyper vigilant to spotting the earliest signs of when that, that could arise. And I remember as a teenager, um, my uncle coming to me and almost like revealing me saying, I bet your greatest fear is becoming schizophrenic. And I, and I, I had chills up my spine and like, how does he know? How does he know? Um, and it was secretly one of my greatest fears. And I was always checking myself against other people. Like, am I crazy? I'm a little weird, but am I crazy? So if you were to like to have like kind of, you know, a peculiar thought or, or see something that wasn't there, would you think, oh, we're just waiting for the shoe to drop? Exactly. Or if I was overly emotional, is that because I'm a woman or is it because I'm bipolar? Right. I'm constantly diagnosing myself. Do I have, you know, do I have autism? Is it just anxiety or is this OCD? I think that led me to my profession as well, is, is trying to seek understanding and, and trying to figure myself out and, and what is normal and what is atypical. And How has what you grew up experiencing influenced your work with other people? I, I think it was just a, a desire to, to learn, to learn about myself. Uh, they talk about wounded healers um, who, who enter the field. And so I think it was mostly to try to discover more about my to gain insight about myself to, to learn more about that and then at some point along the way I learned the power of connecting with people when I was able to relate to them my own experiences so when I could say you know what I, I know what that might feel like it may not be exactly the same as yours but I've, I've experienced something like that and relate to them on on that human level 
Yeah, and I, I bet people can relate to that, right? As opposed to a therapist who's more, you know, removed and detached and, oh, that must be difficult. I think one of the key times that it happened was I was um, providing counseling to a woman that they said was paranoid. Um, and it was, I was working in a violence against women shelter and they were saying she's paranoid, she's got mental health issues. And I'd met with her and I, I, I hadn't revealed any of my own history or my own story. And I turned to them after and I said, she's not any crazier than I am. That's, that's a real story. It happened to me. And at that point, I was able to let my guard down a little bit more um, after that initial fear of being revealed. Um, and people would judge me or people would, would think things of me. But I was able to put that guard down and, and actually then connect with people. And so now I'm a lot more honest about it. How do you not mix business with pleasure, so to speak? Yeah, I think a lot of it is talking to people. You know, my, my, I don't know exactly how you feel. I don't live inside your body, uh, but I can relate to you and I can empathize with you. I, I have compassion for you in the same way that I have, I've learned to have compassion for myself. That's a really good point. Like learning to have compassion for yourself. It's the kind of thing that I'm sure many people would think they would uh, presume that that's present. It's not for trauma survivors. You're working on it because the core of your being is, you know, abandoned, neglected. Um, unworthy, and so you grow up trying to prove yourself. You grow up overcompensating or undercompensating, trying to connect, not trusting connection. You do it all wrong. So you're, you know, you need a, like a chiropractic adjustment in your in your emotional relating abilities and your skills. You actually have, have to learn to connect with people because you didn't grow up with that. Like my mother wouldn't have like been. Like you're emotional. Like, That's a good analogy. A chiropractic, you know, back cracking, emotional, you know, right. spine. It's an alignment. You need an alignment. Um, and, and, and people who've experienced trauma, I, I see them as being misaligned. I see them as what you're trying to get is connection to that person, but you're doing it by um, being histrionic or, you know, um, you're, you're doing it in all the wrong ways. And so you're actually repelling that person, hoping that they'll, they'll dig deeper, but it doesn't work that way. Well, what are some of the strategies or advice you would give people, you know, who have had trauma and are, you know, trying to, you know, move beyond it? And, and, you know, have healthy relationships. You've got to have an emotionally reconditioning experience. And, and that's why I really strongly advise counseling because you can't always get that from your intimate partners who don't understand your strange connection um, patterns. So from a counselor, you can get a reconditioning experience where they can help you learn the insight as to, oh, it might be the, that you're interacting in this way because of, you know, they can help you make those connections so that you can readjust. Um, and you can do it in a healthier way. When you say emotionally reconditioning and experience, can you expand on that a little bit? Like what what does that actually look like if you're to go through it for people? So a counselor that has healthy boundaries who can help you see how your way of interacting. So I think of one of the clients that I had who um, she would fire me just as we were getting close. And so I said to her, you know, it's interesting to me and it's a common experience for people experience trauma. So as soon as you start to feel comfortable, feel close to somebody, your, your fight flight, um, reactions kick in. Um, and so you, you know, I'm not going to beg you to come back to, to treatment, but I'm going to suggest maybe you consider that, you know, and if you want to call me tomorrow, I'm still here. I'm not going anywhere. I mean, they talk about the, you know, the three E's, if you will, of trauma, you know, traumatic events, traumatic experiences, and then the traumatic effects of trauma. And some people will have, you know, a, a trauma that's more acute. And then they'll be able to kind of get over it and move on. And then other people will have more, you know, chronic or complex trauma where it's not that simple. It's, mm -hmm. it's more pervasive. 
And I think the complex trauma is the pieces that we have a hard time understanding. A chronic trauma could be an uh, you know, abusive relationship. It's always the same old, same old, same old. It's not going anywhere. It's um, uh, whereas a complex, I think I, my experience is, is more like a complex trauma. So you've got the, the abandonment early on in childhood and then the way that that interacts and you end up in abusive relationships. Um, then, you know, and there's car accidents along the way and there's house fires along the way and there's, you know, um, you know, bad job environments, bullied job, you know, environments where you're bullied in the workplace, um, sexual assault, you know, um, having all kinds of different things that all come together. So you can't quite pinpoint, oh, oh I act this way because my mother had schizophrenia. It, it's so much more nuanced than that. You say all these things so matter of fact, yet, you know, our listeners, even, even one of those things, like, you know, your mother having schizophrenia or abusive relationship, each one of those things would be something that could put someone over the edge. How do you deal with that? How did you end up in an abusive relationship? I think my broken parts attracted to his broken parts, and each of us were thinking that we were going to get healed on that and then disappointed that, that neither of us could fix the other. But of course we couldn't. Right, like hurt people hurt people. seems to me at the core of trauma is a lot of shame and humiliation. In, in some ways, our, our barriers to kind of working on things and getting help. You know, I, I started in a relationship with a therapist where I went in, paid her $200 a session for, for me to tell her how fine everything was in my life. And when I, and then I'd go home, feel awful after and wonder, Oh, well, so it wasn't until I was finally able to say, I think I need you to prod me a little bit deeper. I think I need you to, to ask a little bit more pressing questions and, and get underneath some of this because I'm lying to you. Um, and I don't know why I'm lying to you. Cause you're ashamed and embarrassed. I mean, when you have trauma, it's it's very hard to trust and be vulnerable with people. Right, and and that's how you connect is through that vulnerability. But if you're protecting yourself or you're trying to be something that you think the other person wants so that they'll like you, you end up attracting them to somebody who you aren't. Right, you put up masks and, you know, tell people what you think they, you know, want you to be as opposed to what you are. Like I grew up in a white picket fence. 2.2 brothers and sisters, on and on. Or you're over-explaining. Like, I often find myself over-explaining. We had a really nice house. My father was a teacher. We lived in a nice neighborhood. But there was it was empty inside. There was no food in the fridge. There was no structure in the house. There was, you know, we weren't like normal families. Um, and I had an idea of what a normal family was, and that was a white picket fence. But I discovered the more you talk to people, there's very few what I would have considered a normal family. I had an idealistic view of what a family was. But that was also unhealthy because it's not achievable and it doesn't allow for people to, to be their weird little selves and to make mistakes and to, and that's the stuff that people connect over is that authenticity because we can relate to it. How is the trauma you endured growing up? And it sounds like, you know, replicated in adulthood and trauma is often intergenerational, right? It doesn't skip a generation. When you look back, you'll see, oh, I'm not that different than my mother or father, right? We both, you know, we both go for the same kind of men. Obviously a very successful, strong, independent woman. How does that come to be? I think you overcompensate. Um, I was, I wanted to care for other people. So I wanted to advocate. I wanted to make sure that I wanted to make the world fair. And, um, that really drove me. Um, I wanted people to feel comfortable. So I would, 
I make myself small so that everybody else would be comfortable. So that made me likable. Then I had this burning desire to, to tell people what wasn't right. I think there's a lot of uh, that overcompensating. I think I tried 15% harder than your average person would um, to prove myself. You talk about that codependency. I look at uh, how I raised my children and, and wanted so much for them not to hurt that I would do too much for them instead of allow them take risks on their own. I didn't want them to ever feel abandoned, so I stayed way too close. Right. My daughter talks. You don't want them to replicate your upbringing or your experience. My daughter's not a very um, affectionate person, and so she says she was overcuddled as a child, and she absolutely was overcuddled as a child. There ain't no harm in that girl. (laughs) Right? But but there is. You know, it sounds like there is. Exactly. There is. Because, Because in that, it's not a balanced you know, amount of affection. It's affection that I need to give to her to make myself feel better um, so that she doesn't feel abandoned. I need for her not to feel abandoned instead of allowing her to come to me. And so she felt smothered in that. You know, every parent wants better for their children. How do you do that when you've got that, you know, deep-seated trauma? The best you can until somebody can support you with it. So again, that's where I think you need the perspective from, from caring professionals and emotionally reconditioning relationships. We see that a lot with our, our families who have um, family members with mental health and they're they're standing too close and trying to help too much. And it's well-meaning, but it's so destructive. So the person doesn't learn to take care of themselves, doesn't learn the need to take care of themselves because mom or dad's always going to do it or I'm not going to do it because mom and dad are always nagging, right? So um, the importance of getting perspective and um, I coach a lot of staff so that the staff can coach the parents to untangle from some of that, to let, let the person take some risks. Let the person try, not so many risks that they're going to, that something horrible is going to happen, but they have to be able to, there's a dignity in risk. I mean, if you just overly coddle people and, and worry that everything they're going to do is going to be a mishap, I mean, that obviously gives people a feeling that, you know, they're not very capable. And then they see themselves as a victim. You know, they don't see themselves as somebody who can have resilience from their experiences or who can learn from their mistakes or who can integrate their experiences. They talk about victim mentality. How do you not be a victim when you are a victim? You're victimized, but you don't necessarily need to be a victim. That's another interesting scenario. Working I mean, that's very powerful. Let's just stop and think about that. You're victimized, but you don't need to be a victim. How do you shift that? I mean, it must be so easy to kind of relate so much of what you feel and where your life goes, you know, based on what happened to you growing up. One of the things I say to people is it's not your fault, but it is your problem. And I think that that's an empowering way to look at it. It validates the fact that some bad stuff happened to you and that wasn't your fault and you didn't deserve it. However, you are responsible, you are responsible to make, make something of it. Turn it around into something that you can use. Make Use your powers for positive purpose. Heal from that so that you're not, one, hurting other people with it, or two, continuing to hurt yourself with it. I mean, you can't just put on your big, you know, your big boots and just kind of get over it and pretend that it doesn't happen because, you know, it leaks out. There's another line that I say to people. It's not my line, but it, what, resist, what you resist persists. So if you, right. you suck it up, buttercup, you carry on, you pretend nothing happened, it leaks out in all kinds of other ways, behaviorally, emotionally. Um, you know, lots of people who have stressful job experiences go home and kick their dogs. Um, not to say that that's right to do, but that's if you don't have a way of processing the emotional aspects and the experiences that happen to you, 
it leaks out in some pretty unhealthy ways. Do you think that's also why people who are traumatized end up with other people who are traumatized? Like they can relate to each other. I do. Yeah. You feel there's a sense of comfort in, oh, you're not going to judge me for my broken parts. We're both broken. You can't use that against me. Mm -hmm. I'm not like one up on you. Yeah. Except that they do. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Healthy people don't need to tit for tat with each other. Healthy people don't need to um, point out somebody else's weakness so they can feel strong. That's power dynamics in relationships. Healthy relationships are, oh, I see you're broken. Oh, that's, look how sweet you are. (laughs) Here, let me help you, you know. But in, in genuine, authentic ways, not let me do it for you because you're broken. And again, you'd asked me earlier, um, how I gravitated to this field and it would, I would, I read, I collected psychology today magazines and books from the time I was, I think nine years old. I was reading psychology today. I needed to understand. I needed to, to, to figure things out. I needed to look at the people in the magazines and see how come I don't look like them? You know, where is, what is healthy? What's right. I, I remember growing up, my mother would always, you know, refer to us as, you know, upper middle class and I didn't know any different, you know, and, that's a woman who's prone to exaggeration. We weren't really upper middle class, but, you know, relative to where it was and, you know, how we viewed our world, that's what we were. And I mean, I think that's very typical of trauma. It's, you don't, you, you don't know different and you don't know better because you don't, you don't have a perspective. Well, Stephanie, I want to thank you for joining us today. I think, you know, our, your experiences and insight are very helpful for people who have had trauma and who are wrestling with trauma and trying to, you know, don't even know maybe that they're traumatized, but are seeing it kind of leak out or experiencing it in their relationships or at work. I mean, it sounds to me like as hard as it is, you recommend that people kind of step back and, you know, work through the trauma. And you can't just do that over brunch with a mimosa. You need to do that with, you know, a therapist who, you know, who will call your shit out and, and support you and be validating to you because you can't just pretend that everything's okay. I mean, people, people need to be acknowledged and they need to not be judged. And, you know, to me, that's the value of a therapist. It's validating. People would say, I hold people's hands while I kick them in the ass. And I think right. that's a fair thing to say. It's the, the, the experience of validation is important because you don't want to just suck it up or make people feel like, uh, oh, it's because they were inadequate that that happened to them. You, you need to have the validation. You need somebody to witness that and say that was unacceptable and you shouldn't have had to experience that. However, this is what we're in now. What are we going to do about it? I mean, it's, it's kind of changing lenses from, you know, more of a victim mentality to a mentality of kind of responsibility and accountability and, you know, forward looking. And empowerment. We are powerful. Victims are powerful. Well, I can't thank you enough, Stephanie. It's It's been really wonderful having you on the program today. And if you want more resources on trauma, please check out reachdrbeach.com. And stay tuned for our next episode. 